Hey up and happy new year. Welcome to episode S of the Temple of Blair podcast. This one's a little bit of a an interesting left field one for the history of Roadrunner Records. It's a chat with Mike Gitter, who is currently Vice President of A&R at Century Media Records, but also had a stint at Roadrunner Records between 1997 and 2009. Uh, in this particular episode, we talk about Dragon Force's Inhuman Rampage in celebration of the 15th birthday of that record. As is typical of the guests of this podcast, Mike was incredibly accommodating, articulate and engaging and it was a real pleasure talking to him about one of my favourite bands um, and especially a band that came into my life at a rather formative time. So let's just uh, jump straight into it. One, two, fuck shit up. What's up? There we go. (laughs) I can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me. I can hear you this time. Uh, hold up. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. Boom. Cool. I, think Boom. I, I assume it's because Zoom updated on me, and then I had the update installed, but I kept the window open, so I think it was something like that. Yeah. Okay. Because I got hit with that. I got hit with that same update today as well. Right. Cool. So, totally understand. How are you, dude? I'm good. I'm just hitting the coffee man how about you good yeah thank you for doing it at this hour i know it's i know it's late for you dude newborn true still <laughs> yeah is that a gold a gold pantera vulgar display record yes it is how do you manage I'm, we're gonna go off track so quickly <laughs> oh it's okay it's okay uh, i was a journalist you know prior prior to my career in the record business I was a journalist from um, 1985 or 86 right. to 1993, and you know what ended up happening is a lot of the, a lot of the bands sort of I, I was working with are bands that sort of either touched upon my background, which is more on the sort of extreme punk and hardcore side of things, mm. going back in the early 80s, or you know it's it's bands that sort of came up in that time. They were probably a little tangential to that, and one of the bands I sort of, I instantly kind of gravitated to and was became a fan of was Pantera when I heard, um, you know, Cowboys from Hell. It was kind of mm. like, cool. It's Black Flag meets Van Halen meets like, you know, meets Metallica. I'm yeah, like, I'm I'm so in, and it was just a band that I sort of had, you know. Ended up having like a history with and wrote a lot about. I wrote about them like I probably did the first major story on them for Kerrang, sure. Rip. So consequently, they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna reward that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give that boy a uh, gold record. <laughs> Something for his wall." <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a Soundgarden Bad Motorfinger record over oh. there. Um, I. That's over awesome. There, over there. Um. Yeah. I, I don't have any of my own gold records hanging up in my in my place. Weirdly enough, yeah. it's just because it's boring, and I know I did them. And <laughs> whatever, you know, they're they're in a pile over there. Yeah. Um, speaking back to like the wider projects at, at, at hand, so like I say, I had some sort of trepidation speaking to the what I regard as the bigger guys, such as yourself. But we're in advantage because your tenure and what I sort of like currently perceive you as responsible for is the very heart of the things that got me into more extreme music. It was that three month span trivium September, 2005 at the venue that's on the screen behind me 
Um, about a week later, Dragon Force at the same venue. Uh, rest in peace, Alexia, Children of Bodom, at the same time. Um, Kill Switch. It's all that stuff is what gravitated me towards more extreme music. And, and Dragon Force especially is like, that set me on a path I never came back from because that was, it moved from Rhapsody, um, Falconer, that kind of flavor of power mm-hmm. metal, sort of a big eyed, big, big sort of like fantastical concepts to dragon force then i'm all i'm balls deep into like ailstorm and what ended up being sort of your your mainline european folk viking stuff and that's kind of the, the world i lived in for a long time and that's all dragon force's fault and it's all your fault but but the, the, well thank you um it, it's actually i mean i mean to back up even before that you know it's herman's fault it's you know yeah um ron smallwood's fault Yep. It's Steve McTaggart's fault. Um, you know, th- th- it's Noise Records' fault. Like, like there were a lot. There was a lot of heavy lifting to get it to me. You know, I mean, I, th- I think what Dragon Force did um, was they they took power metal and made it contemporary. Yeah. In a in a way that no band, you know, no band had sort of mastered that, like in in that way. I mean, when I when I first signed them, you, you couldn't ask for something as uncool at that time as power metal, mm. you know. And, and I, I I was always a, look I was always a fan of Halloween, uh, yeah. Jack Panzer, Yo. obviously Maiden because yeah. who isn't? But what what I think you know Herman and Sam did perhaps better, you know, better than anyone is, is, is they took the scope, they took the, you know, audacity. They also took the really great songwriting chops that came with that metal. The things, the things that made, you know, Eagles fly free off of, off of Keeper of the Seven Keys part two, such a, just a humongous anthem. And they, they gave it a whole new spin and gave it a whole new intensity that also had a lot to do with one of the great things about the band, especially at the time that they came to human in human rampage was the chemistry of, of the people in the band was bizarre, insane and untouchable because all of a sudden you had Lee and Totman who were both these, you know, just, front of front of the class holy shit get out of their get out of their way guitar players mm. uh, you know you had you had dave mcintosh the drummer straight out of balsagoth yep who who was who was bringing that that sort of symphonic black metal sensibility to the band yep vadim who was this you, you know was was a gamer you know, yeah. in addition to being like a brilliant, a brilliant keyboard player, was a gamer and, and had those that music, you know, kind of in, in his in his mind. Mm. So and and you also had Fred Leclerc, who had just taken over from Adrian Lambert. Yes. Um, now, Adrian, Adrian did record on Human Rampage. Yeah. But Fred is like as good as Herman and Sam are. Well, Fred's just as great a guitar player, you know, and, and, and he also had the legacy of, of Heavenly behind him. Mm-hmm. But whoa, what what a just a talent. 
Um, yeah. Put then you've got Zippy Fert. I'm pronouncing that. Uh, I, I, I think, think it's or Zippy. It's it's. I don't think it's, it's Zippy. I mean, he was just called. I mean, everybody just called him Zippy. Oh. Um, but you 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 had Zippy and and you know, like and I think I think Mark Hudson has done a great job, you know, carrying on, carrying on over the past few records. Mm. But Zippy is was a special kind of singer as well. So you had this like insane, you know, synergy and mm. and of of just talents. It's it's kind of like they had so much fun with the concept of power metal that, and they went so, as you say, expanded the scope of it so much that it could not be enjoyed ironically, and therefore you couldn't you could therefore say power metal silly anymore. They've done too much to enhance the genre, as you say. I mean, they they they, they made it they made it modern and relevant. Yeah, yeah. And they they also, I mean. Who cares about who cares about cool? Because the uncool, you know, the uncool always win. Yeah. Um, but they also made it cool. And oh yeah, they were an amazing live band. Mm. Um, and and oh oh yeah, they also extended extended the genre beyond just power metal metal into this kind of mainstream sensibility mm. once Guitar Hero came knocking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You had, like, people under 10 mastering through the fire and the flames and bringing it to a whole different place. There's Dragon Force having a, you know, having a cultural relevancy and currency mm. that they, by all rights, no way, no how, should have had, but... Yeah. Through, through audacity, a little bit of luck, uh, a really, you know, show, shows you the power of a really great sync. Mm. All of a sudden, hey, mainstream gamer world, here's Dragon Force. And, yeah. you know, so, so it was, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to think that you also had a record that was so, that was, completely fringe on the inception yeah, yeah yet is yet is now a gold record i'm, I'm gonna do, i'm gonna actually call back do a call back to an interview we did with doc coil a few years ago because mm-hmm. on that in that conversation doc said Glassjaw were a band without context and in a that's way my, that's my that's my line Bob. was that your line that oh, was my okay. line no, sorry about either way someone in that <laughs> room at that time doc. said <laughs> the glass jaw was a band without context i think something similar could be said for dragon force because it was post slipknot pre uh, chip tune so as you say it's like there's a video game element to it it kind of sounds that weird it's got a lo-fi element to it but it's not lo-fi at all and metal right. was quite a serious thing as as we know that like metalcore was it was becoming a a more mainstream item uh yeah it, it, and so i think where Dragon Force fit in, it, there wasn't anything quite like it. No context, maybe is maybe the wrong way to describe it, but I, I think I know, I know what I mean by that. I, I think I, I think they also helped usher in the age, kind of the return to just a, a general respect respect for the guitar player. Oh, totally. Um, which obviously Herman and Sam being complete badasses in their own right. But you, if you couple that then with the likes of, with the likes of Trivium, 
Mm. Um, and you also start having bands like Protest the Hero sort of ling lingering around in the ether. You've got this return to an almost, um, you know, player sensibility, you know, to this mm. real kind of like, like, you know, it, it, it basically they ushered, they ushered in the return of the guitar hero yeah. in heavy metal. Hence, hence the video game name as well. But like, mm. and I think that that stamp, you know, remains now. Yeah, totally. That's what they're known for, the virtuosity mm -hmm. in a way. So it, it, it's, not like, it's not like the guitar hero was at all an alien concept um, to Roadrunner. Because we can always bring it back to the great cat. <laughs> you know, we certainly what, is, can. what is the distance between Beethoven on speed and in human rampage? Especially, those are, those are, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I was actually going to make a really specific D cut about um, Ultra Beatdown on, um, I can't remember what's the third track called. Ah, Christ, um, let me try and find it. Reasons to Live, that's it. There's, it drops into like a really cool waltzy bit and it's, it's the opposite of what Herman usually does. And it's like, just to prove your point, maybe in this analogy, it's Mozart on speed, but yeah, the distance between Beethoven on speed and, and, what Herman's doing and, and Sam is just like, it's not a million miles away, is it? You know, I hope, I hope when you talk to Herman for this, um, that we can, we can, we can really understand and celebrate the influence of the great cat, who, by the way, is a motherfucker of a musician and, and often doesn't, yeah, get the, totally, you know, doesn't get the credit due. Um, but it's it's interesting that that's you know that's part of the legacy, and I also think you know it's also interesting yep. going back if memory serves probably not in America but outside America, um, Case was licensing all the shrapnel record stuff. Um, Correct. Yes. So you know it, it was all in it was all in the ether. It was bound to happen. Um, but yeah, let's I'm gonna let's crack on with questions because I, I put in an hour. I didn't really intend to be a full hour. It'll just be as, as long as, well, as, as short as it's required to be. So we're here to celebrate Inhuman Rampage, which was the first record which Dragon Force put out on Roadrunner Records. Um, I, thought that, I thought this as a topic would be just like an icebreaker for me and you so we can sort of learn to navigate each other. Because the next, hopefully, if there is a next time we speak, if I don't piss you off too much, it, it could hopefully be a lot longer form talking about the label as a whole and having a lot more deep dives into that kind of nuances. Um, but as I say, I don't want to overstay my welcome. So let's... Oh, you, you, thank you. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no worries, man. Let's jump into it. So regarding Dragon Force in particular, so we've, we've given them a little bit of an intro and trying to understand why they are such a big, lack of a better term, force in, in metal at mm -hmm. that time. So how did you initially come across them? Because I know there were... Sonic Firestorm had been out for a while. They were doing the rounds. Mm -hmm. um, so how did they end up on your lap? You said there was some heavy lifting done from the other labels with which they were signed. Well, I, I mean, I was, you know, familiar with the Valley of the Damned record. Yeah. And I was familiar with Sonic Firestorm. Um, 
you know, I've never, I was never like a humongous power metal guy, but, you know, Halloween, particularly, you know, Walls of Jericho and, and, and the Keepers records mm-hmm. are awesome. Um, some of the Jack Panzer stuff I love. Obvious, obviously, Iron Maiden is, is the mothership for all of it. Um, so, well, that stuff I love to begin with. Mm. Then, um, you know, and, and also just like hearing little rumblings about the band and hearing, hearing um, how the, there was this new English band that was taking power metal in a little bit of a cooler direction. Okay, well, noted. It wasn't until I saw them on the cover of Terrorizer, mm-hmm. which I believe was 2004, 2000, 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually wrote it down. Well, anyway, it was, it was basically like Terrorizer Power Metal Special. Right. Um, so, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a music fan and as, as, an, as an NR person, I was like, I better check this damn band out. Like, well, I, better, I better put them under a little bit more of a magnifying glass. Um, I was able to reach out, um, I believe, to, I reached out to Herman. And I, I believe it was maybe on MySpace. It sounds about right, uh, time-wise. But, yeah, I mean, and, and he, he referred me to Steve McTaggart, their, their manager at Sanctuary. Right. Steve sent me the Inhuman Rampage record. And it was it was it, as as well as the through the fire and the flames video, mm. and it was just one of those holy shit moments, you know, schnookies. What's going on with this band? Because um, all of a sudden it was it was it was taking guitar heroics, um, al- almost like like a black metalish kind of kind of velocity and speed. Yeah. Yes, Dave McIntosh, Balsagath, yes, the no maniac. Yeah, um, you know, topping it with with these incredible hooks and incredible melodies, mm-hmm. and it, it it it's no it's no surprise that that the band, you know, had the had the sort of immediate success on that record that they did. So, so I, w- without knowing much and going into an A and R meeting, I first and foremost just showed the through the fire and the flames video. And I think literally by the by the hoisting of, of the beers in silhouette, then Pace was immediately like, hell yes. Now, <laughs> you know, getting getting Case to, 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 to be that sort of excited about something and, and also ostensibly giving giving us the, the green light for something mm-hmm. was was never an easy feat. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also that, you know, just a little sidebar. I think that was also part of Roadrunner's success is that yes. he pushed us to find these these bands that were sort of genre defining, um, and in these kind of just wa- you know watershed bands and obviously Monty via Monty having signed Subterra, Fear Factory, um, Typo Negative, um, Obituary, Deicide. Everyone and and and, and many yeah, well, machine, yeah, sorry, thank you. Um, we also shan't forget suffocation and and many you know many bands whose records just endure endure till today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Monty really his his success his success was having these bands mm-hmm. that def, that defined entire genres and subgenres. Yeah. So 
I, I, you know, and, and I think that again, case really pushed us for that and, and pushed us to have these sort of one of a kind, mm -hmm. um, really linchpin bands. Yeah. Um, and I think he, I think he immediately saw what, what I was seeing in the hearing in Dragon Force. And I think within, within several weeks, I found myself um, at the Astoria in London. Right. Seeing, seeing them. I want to say the show was, I want to say it was a sold out show. Mm -hmm. And holy shit, not only, not only were they pulling off um, what they had done, what they had, you know, put on record, mm -hmm. but they were doing it, you know, they were doing it in, 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 in style, energy, and, and grand fashion. There were trampolines yeah. involved. You know, people <laughs> playing guitar, I, I don't think they missed a note. Maybe they did. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, people playing guitar, like, jumping off trampolines. Yeah. And if you look at, like, like I said, if you look at the chemistry of everyone on stage, be it... Um, Sam and Herman, um, Macintosh, who is a brilliant drummer, mm. Fred Leclerc, even though he wasn't he wasn't the bass player on the record, yeah, um, just an incredible player, uh, an incredible presence as well. Vadim, who is like keytars, we have keytars, and and these almost kind of like video gameish sounds, and it, it it really like took it into a very different direction and then you top it with with a brilliant a brilliant very traditional metal singer mm. but really a great singer with zippy mm -hmm. and it's this just it's this monster of a band that had me staring you know had me staring at mctaggart going <laughs> the new iron maiden like uh, like a new a new direction for for not just power metal but me but metal in its own right. Did you know and, that uh, Dave had a he had an, an E an electric kit prior to the Inhuman Rampage run? I don't when know I, that. Yeah, when when it, when I saw him at the cockpit, um, he, mm -hmm. first Vadim didn't have a keytar; he was just moshing behind that the keyboard as he as he would do anyway. Okay, um, uh, but Dave had at one of the fold up ones. And I think the exception, the exception was kick snare and cymbals. Everything else was pads. And I remember thinking, this is a bit fucking mad. This is a bit mental, but I was front row. I couldn't hear it. Well, I couldn't hear like the fidelity differences yeah. between say an acoustic kit and what samples they were running. But I thought that was really interesting. And I just wonder if you knew what, um, if you had any, any, uh, over, any sight of when he transitioned to a full kit, but maybe it was just that uh, gig. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just something that I've never seen since. Yeah. I mean, I was about to say now, now it's time to sort of scurry back through YouTube and look, look at those you know, <laughs> Sonic Firestorm and Valley of the Damned era, era shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, again, it also speaks to their, to their willingness to sort of bend and distort the genre to their own, you know, to their own liking. Mm. They might have even thought it could it could have just been a pragmatic thing, like, well, look, drums take the longest to do on stage. We've got fifteen minute changeover because they did a lot of support slots on that run anyway. Dave, that, just get was the that on the tour of the wasp. No. When I when I saw them it was a headlining tour. 
but there was so I, I imagine the Sonic Firestorm year was like such a busy year anyway. I imagine yeah. you know if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if they're using the same crew, just launch the briefcase out and let it unfold in itself, and we've got the DIs all plugged in. Why not? Maybe. Oh yeah, it's 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 way it's probably way easier to run. Yeah. Yeah, you know, obviously, obviously, sounded sounded great, and also you probably, you know, yeah. I would imagine, I would imagine they needed to cut through everything that was going on musically. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on musically, and it gives. I imagine it gives like front of house a lot more control in that respect. So he's the guy at the end of the day who's going to go right. Well, we've got this really tight rhythm section which is mixed to a down to a T, but we've got the guitar tones that are, that are um, taking the lead, which are a little bit more sort of nuanced because it's never the same anytime, especially on the Sonic Firestorm album. It's very kind of midi. Uh, when I say midi, I mean like the mid range. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I'm not saying it's not dynamic. I'm just saying like that's, I think that's where the video game comparisons come in. It's in that guitar tone, the lead tone that, that, you know, absolutely shreds through a particular section so fast that you can kind of think, yeah, I'm getting real weird doom vibes from this. And similarly, <laughs> I think when, when front of house is listening to that, they're like, right, well, how am I going to, I need to make some room for this. Let's take it out of the, the snare or something like that. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's, and we're just, the, it's, you know, it's all conjecture, but I, I found it really interesting. I found it really interesting. It's interesting that yeah. um, Case would just I was like, say, I get it. I was about to say, I, I mean, I mean, now it's time for an ultra nerdy deep dive. Cool. Yeah. Now, if there's ever a band to do it with, it's Dragon Force. It's, it's Dragon Force. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, and, and the thing that, you know, one of the the other great things about them was really Herman did this by did this by sheer will and ingenuity as well. I mean, shred on on what metal MP3 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Having the foresight to tackle the internet in a way that very few bands were utilizing it at that point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that that that's another aspect of the another aspect of of the whole Dragon Force package is completely forward-thinking. Mm. Mm. So when do we take the next steps then? So Case has thrown his hands up and gone, this is great. Off you go, Mike. Presumably he's giving you an A&R budget with which you're going to have to go to Sanctuary and Noise and say, can we have a slice of this pie? Right. I mean, I mean so what? They've already got everything, haven't they? With Sonic Firestone, they had worldwide distribution. Mm-hmm. They had pretty extensive tour support um, and tour opportunities. Like uh, they had, the, you know, all the festival, the European festival runs, they had the Maiden runs. This is just from memory. I, I haven't really done any research on this bit. I'm just... I, if, if memory serves and what I remember reading in the Damn the Machine History of Noise Records book, uh, <laughs> that was a point, that was a point when they were all, when I think noise was in business with Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the band, the band was obviously managed by Sanctuary, by Sanctuary. Right. So I think they were looking. They were looking for the best oppor- opportunity for Dragon Force. Mm. So, and I think that, that they realized that, you know, having having, particularly a band that had its hooks so in, so into North America, um, at the time was would probably elevate them, mm. from from just being like here's an, here's another noise power metal band. Yeah. Yeah. So what did Roderinger bring to the table then? Why, why, why was Sanctuary happy to, to give to, to yield some space? I think, I think at, at, at that point, you know, there had been, I think at that point, probably noise had gone through many 
changes as as a label. Right. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what their distribution situation was at that point. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you know, Roadrunner had plenty, plenty of gold, um, gold, and actually, you know, with with the with Nickelback with the sort of Close Encounters mothership arrival of, of Nickelback, playing platinum record, platinum yeah. records as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it offered opportunities and it offered a different, a different group of bands. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it basically, it basically offered a, a roster of bands that were either, you know, genre defining and, and fresh and new, like, like Killswitch, mm-hmm. um, bands that, you know, had gold, you know, that had gold success behind them typo fear factory obviously machine had done incredibly well sepultura so so there was this just there was a legacy of success Mm. and i think that they looked at um road you know roadrunner as probably just a better a better partner particularly in north america right um to have the bandwidth it's interesting how far reputation in that regard goes um yeah especially when it's when it's when you compare comparing with Sanctuary, who is obviously the, the home of Rod Smallwood, um, yeah, yeah, and it's especially like I say, maybe it is that North American context which really sort of sealed the deal for them. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I mean, Sanctuary put you know, Sanctuary as a label. I mean, obviously, what what Rod Smallwood, you know, had had historically done with Maiden and a management company is is incredible and irreproachable. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and Sanctuary as a label, I think, like made it made a, a strong go of it, mm-hmm. and was definitely was was definitely definitely put out some great records. Love the first Halford record, love the Corrosion Conformity records they put out. Yep. Um, what else? Did they put out? Anyway, and it was also you know and the interesting the interesting thing there was it was also run um, by Corey Brennan mm-hmm. in the states, who now is the head of Five B Management. Yeah. Another road, actually, and another Roadrunner alum. Oh, God, it was such a such a yeah. Corey was a, Corey was a product manager, so yeah, another you know, another titan of the industry yeah. from that from that cradle of success called Roadrunner Records. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I was one of the the interviews I'm editing and throwing up as soon as I can is uh, Miles Leonard. Um, who was responsible for Coldplay, The Verve, Kylie Minogue. He did two years at Roadrunner from 94 to 96 in the UK. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And Andy Saunders, he was working at Creation Records when Oasis smashed, you know, broke out with the Britpot stuff. Yeah, Roadrunner is a weird, it's a weird place. If you, if it's like Platoon, if you're a, if you're an actor in Platoon and you're not world famous now, you're screwed up. <laughs> Similarly, if you were to Roadrunner Records in any capacity and you're not now raking it in in some po- in, in some capacity, something went. Let's, let's say let's say let's say gainfully employed. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was my next question? Uh, so Casey didn't take any convincing. Obviously, the band knows where Roadrunner stands. Um, you, were, my next one was going to be about you were you were signing him kind of blind because you didn't know about you didn't hear in Ranch Page, but you did say that you got that sent. Presumably, a promo copy or the completed product was sent to you um, by the manager, so you knew what you were getting into. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew I knew that that was the record we were going. You know, if we were going to mm-hmm. get into business with with Dragon Force, that was the record we were going to put out. Yeah, which makes it really easy and really cool for an A and R guy to go, "Hey, I'm delivering this badass record, and I don't have to I don't have to like put an ounce of sweat equity into it." It was all these guys. It was already done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, that's awesome. So, um, how was your relationship with the band from an A and R perspective? Is it just were they were they just like, oh, hi, Mike, we're just going to get on with doing our thing or was there a real kind of like collaboration in terms of direction and um strategy for lack of a better phrase i mean i mean from a from a creative point of view you know and i i worked on um obviously i was there for a human rampage and mm-hmm. i was pretty much more of an involved in our person on the ultra beatdown record the subsequent yep. ultra beatdown record mm-hmm. um but you know i think i think by that point those guys, you know, there's there's bands that require a lot of hands-on effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the true greats are bands that, that you just have to get out of the way and, cel- and, and celebrate, you know, the great music that they're bringing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I've been I've been very lucky to, you know, I've worked with, I've worked with bands, you know, on on both sides of that spectrum. And I've been very lucky to be party to a lot of a lot of artists um, who, you you know, there's there's nothing I could tell Michael Ackerfeld from Opeth. No, um, <laughs> you know, earlier earlier in my career, what am I going to say to to Brett Gerwitz and Greg Graffin from Bad Religion? Not a hell of a lot, you know, because yeah, yeah. these are these are all bands that are, that are fully formed and. They 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 deliver brilliance time and time again. Well, with a human rampage, you know, which was really kind of a high point and, and a redefinition of, you know, what they had been building up to, they pretty much had Dragon Force, you know, had Dragon Force covered, and I just got to look smart and cool. You know, I think I think when it came time for Ultra Beatdown, you know, the natural inclination was try to try to replicate the success of it. On Ultra Beatdown, then. So, into, actually, let's let's go into the touring cycle for um, for Inhuman Rampage because they were run. I'm not going to say run ragged. I don't think the word ragged is the right term because they are ready to they're ready to to walk across the earth m- multiple times over, um, and they did so with uh, you know things like the Black Crusade with all the other Roadrunner acts. I think it was what Trivium, uh, Machine Head. Uh, There's a couple. Oh, Shadows Fall were on that tour as well. They were busy, busy, busy boys. Um, but with that came, as you say, that they became kind of a household name. I remember when, um, I was at, at college at the time, I was in college being sixth form college being, um, how does that translate to American? I was 16, whatever. Um, yeah. I even had people in my school going, oh, have you heard this band? Because they knew I was a metalhead and it was through the fire and flames. And this is like a year after the album had come out. And it's interesting how like it's beats in terms of becoming prevalent and having a seat at the table with mainstream music it wasn't it wasn't to the normal album cycle rhythm the album came out well 15 years ago last week i think it was and then um the first single was august so through the fire and flames came out i think in in its fullest capacity in august and then there was a few two only two more singles i believe um i think it was revolution death squad and operation ground and pound throughout 2007 that's a that's incredibly elongated 
And I find that really interesting. Was that, obviously, I, I doubt that was by design in any way. I ended up seeing a lot of Dragon Force shows, um, 2006, 2007. And, you know, literally, you know, we put out through the fire and the flames and it was, ex- it, it, it wasn't just like, yeah, this is the coolest band in town. It was explosive. Um, Dragon Force came in, you know, to North America for, a, you know, a, basically a quick, like, hello, how are you kind of tour, um, just kind of a dipping their toe in the water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what the, the response was, was unbelievable. Um, you know, I saw the New York, saw the New York show at the Avalon, um, the, the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival appearance. And then I saw the show at the Whiskey, which was just one of those landmark shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was great. There was this great backstage um, moment where, where Dave Mustaine um, came by to say hello. It, it almost felt like one of those, like, handshake, passing up, you know, handshake sort of <laughs> mark of approval, sort of like, yeah, you're cool. You're in the club moments. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was, so it was, it was, that was a great little, that was a great small run that, you know, they followed that with, I believe the first, the inaugural Mayhem Fest, mm-hmm. get, getting main stage on that, mm-hmm. followed, you know, probably the next year by, by a run on Ozfest. Yeah. Um, so really like, you know, it, it, it was explosive from the start. Mm. And you know, it, there was there was definitely a feeling that Dragon Force had arrived. I think there was. I was. I think I wanted to go into that asking um, were they keen to get back into the studio for Ultra Beatdown? But it kind of then I started thinking like the wheels were turning. I was like, no, because the, the actual like peaks of the success of the album came at so many different times, and it. it well, it, yeah, I, think, so. I think what had happened. I think what had happened is. You know, they they earned they earned Dragon Force fans from the outset. Yeah. Um, I think where the whole thing shifted was, you know, with the arrival of Guitar Hero, which mm-hmm. which also just shows you like the power of a, like a great sync. You you then got Guitar Hero fans, mm-hmm. and there were you know a lot of them, and at that at that point, Dragon Force took on this mainstream you know mainstream currency. That I think they were on the Ellen show with 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 some someone playing the game who was under ten years old and beating the game, which and probably you know I think by, I, I think I remember Herman saying, yeah, um, they're playing that game better than I can play that. Yeah, I think like especially with Guitar Hero Three, it was very much a party game, so it's 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 not a gamer crowd that's getting into Dragon Force. It's like the same guys that played Pong when Pong came out and was looking mm-hmm. at the screen. It's, it's, it's far more expansive than that. But I think you're right when you say um, in that cycle, they found their fans and that's the important thing. Like the darkness, I think are a great sort of example of that thing happening mm-hmm. as well. So the darkness had permission to land and they had one hit ticket to, uh, to hell and back. And um, then they all split off and do their own thing for five years. And now they've come back and they know what they're playing to now. And it kind yeah. of, that's where their shift happened. And it's interesting because I think it's, 
it changes the incentive structure by which you then conduct yourself. As I mean, Monty says this thing where um, I could be misquoting him, and I don't mean to, but when a band is incepted, you got as soon as it's conceived, you got five years of shitting gold, and after that time, it kind of somewhat diminishes. Uh, or it somewhat takes a different form. Uh, Machine are, are an exception. They had that first run, then they had the Blackening Run and the Ashes Run. Exception. Or you had bands that become a brand around their own thing. And then, bad example, maybe Slayer. You have Slayer, who have like a great run in the 80s, and there's a, not a lull in the 90s, but they've kind of encapsulated this one kind of brand thing, and that's their entire shtick, and they found their fans, and that's what they ride on. Dragon Force is a similar kind of thing. I don't think I've seen like... I don't think anything from Ultra Beat Down onwards became as ubiquitous as in Human Rampage, but they haven't lost any potency or there hasn't been a moment where it's like, oh, they were playing an arena and now they're playing a club. There's, that's just not happened at all. Yeah, I mean, I I mean by the way, I think, I think you can, you know, it's, it's, usually, it's usually like you have your entire life to write your first record. So, so all the sort of naive, you know, energy and great ideas and bad ideas, you know, always go into that first record. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably by virtue of what you're saying, Dragon Force joined that elite club of master of puppets, Rain and Blood. It's that moment where a band find its, finds its feet and connects with its chemistry and its greatness. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah. really, that's really what Inhuman Rampage, you know, was. You know, and, and I mean, ultra, you know, the one thing that I think you can say about the band now is you know they're still making really great records mm. they're still playing great shows to a lot of people but those fans are are legitimate dragon force fans yeah you know exactly they're they're, they're not they're not you know the the huge amount of tangential guitar hero fans mm-hmm. so I, I i think it, it speaks to you know i think it speaks to the band and particularly you know herman and sam's you know hard work they've put in all this year these years where you know they've they've made themselves you know you know an iconic band that still means a lot i mean the twitch thing that's happened this summer man herman's now like a he's an internet celebrity for what he's Mm -hmm. you know for giving us an insight into his workflow at home which i think is maybe what people wondering how he churned out, you know, such great music, you know, before this was even possible. Um, now we get to see it. And I think it's interesting how it still resonates with people in um, a very poignant way. Well, it's just, you know, the, 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 like I've said before, I mean, the guy is nothing, is is forward thinking, brilliant. Um, and just, you know, he's, he's, he will always, he will always have, you know, an important career. Yeah. Because he, under, he understands the landscape, he understands his audience, yeah. and he understands how to get to his audience in a way that, you know, a lot of bands don't. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so cool. I mean, this whole Roadrunner project is about me trying to reverse engineer what the value is of, and how people commercialize and how we can propagate metal and make it happen more and more and more. And the things we have to compete with, our market forces and what people consider to be valuable and ubiquitous and things like that so it's really cool when you see someone like herman understanding that landscape and and going to town on it you know i mean that's a you know that's another great roadrunner thing is like you can you can look at some of the personalities that that passed you know through those hallowed halls Mm -hmm. and yeah it's guys like herman 
Um, it's guys like Dino. It's guys like Flynn. Um, hey, you know, it's 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 Max. You know, uh, it's Andreas. Like, there's it's Glenn Benton. It's Adam um, D. It's Adam. Of course, it's Adam D. I mean, you know, he he made short shorts cool. Yeah, yeah, he, he made the Jägermeister caves back. Yeah, I mean the, the cape come now, um, but yeah, these are you know these these are you know Peter Steele, these are part of the legacy you know, and, and I think part of the brilliance of what Case was able to push us you know push us and our guys to really deliver, mm. um, and you know we we made a bunch of good choices. Yeah, man, it's fucking it's crazy. Oh. <laughs> All right, yeah. no, dude, I gotta I'm do it, man. Right. Thanks very much. I'll um, oh, let you know. Just this... send me Fucking wrong. Awesome. Thank you very much, and thank you for doing it this way. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem. Thanks.